0: Episode 220 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR Podcast Network. The Sources Say Podcast is presented by our good friends at Justice Dental. You can make an appointment at one of two Lexington locations. That's on Wellington Way. And Blazer Parkway now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Remember that regular dental appointments are important for your overall health. You can learn more and make an appointment at justicedental.com. Dr. Justice and Dr. Thompson, look forward to seeing you soon. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again for a second time today. Drew, big blue, Drew Brown. of I see a blue, Drew how are you hanging in there this evening?
1: Um, it's 2.41 a.m. We're driving on uh, 65 south here, so I've been better. You know, I, There wasn't a lot, Jack, that could have probably got me upset, um, but the way that that game played out definitely stung. and you know, I said on our pregame show that, that no matter what happened, I'm, I'm done with sentiment in John Calipari and his Kentucky Wildcats, and um, it's time to win some games. That one did play out uniquely to where I'm not like, I don't have any really necessarily holistic, I guess, major concerns. But not making excuses. You got to win these games. Losing five of the last six in the Champions Classic um, is not a stat that I wanted to lay my head down to tonight.
0: Uh, it, whatever it is about this god-awful gangbridge bridge field house, um, used to be Banker's Life field house, when the uh, losses originally started racking up, Drew, uh, this was where... 38 and 1 happened. This is where St. Peter's happened. This is where the welcome to superstardom Zion Williamson Uh, happened. Um, uh, This is where Kansas uh, in the COVID year where it was the worst Venue and environment for a college basketball game I have ever seen and experienced in my life. Uh, you heard every single squeak and every bounce of the ball. Uh, not a single fan in the stands. The uh, logistics of that event was absolute trash. I despised everything to do with that year uh, in particular, and then that ended up being a loss as well against Kansas, uh, where Kentucky played absolutely pitifully. Um, it, which seems to be a recurring theme here at uh, in Indianapolis. So um, before we even get into the nuts and bolts of how it all unfolded and what went wrong for the cats uh, I just I, I want Kentucky to never go back to Indianapolis for any event ever never. again uh, tear that place to the ground or at the very least just avoid that arena at, at all costs drew uh, because it is a nightmare it is a living breathing just cesspool of negativity and awfulness and uh i will do my absolute best to never set foot in there ever again
1: it absolutely had saint peter's vibes towards the end jack i was in almost my same spot as i was in march and once overtime started there were several of us just looking at each other like deja vu big time and not the good kind it was unfortunate and um You know, I never got the feeling that Kentucky was going to lose the game. I think they led for 33 and a half minutes. Um, But obviously, once Oscar went down, I think Kentucky's hopes did as well. And damn, Jack, it just amazes me that he's able to come out and do that night after night. I mean, I just always discount his ability for whatever reason to go out there and get in the high teams and rebounds. And he proves me wrong every night. So he he's a man amongst boys down there. And um, that was, I guess, at least one major bright spot that we could take away from tonight was that Oscar is the same Oscar. And I don't think we're going to have any lingering health issues from him.
0: Yeah, I, I think Oscar was the big positive and the other being Case and Wallace, who uh, I think tied the all-time U.K. Uh, record with steals with eight. Uh, he tied Ashton Hagans. I mean, he was just a menace on, on, on that end of the floor. Uh, I mean, shoot, just uh, punching balls loose. The way, I mean, tying things up late and grabbing tough rebounds. Huge uh, play at the very
1: beginning of the game, too, that steal and dunk. I thought really we talked a lot about that first few minutes of that game. So I thought that really stabilized the Cats and kind of got them settled in. Um, that was well. Like, I think that might have been Kentucky's first two points, or first four, maybe their second basket of the game was that backcourt steal. But eight thefts, man. I think Ashton Hagans, Cason Wallace. I know Wayne Turner was in there, and maybe one other person but um, that, that's pretty remarkable to get eight steals in your third game as a Division I athlete.
0: Yeah, and I think he's one of three players, Shea Gildas-Alexander and John Wall being the others, to ever finish a game under John Calipari with uh, a 10-5, 5 and 5 stat line, 10 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, 5 steals. Uh, that's pretty uh, remarkable company as well, John Wall, Shea Gildas-Alexander, or Casey Wallace. Look, this is a kid that... Uh, he, he's a gamer He's a winner man Like this is a dude That he's going to put His life on the line to, to, to help you win games And unfortunately I don't think Other players Stepped up to the occasion And stepped up to the task The way that we anticipated um, But it's it's very nice to know that you have two constants on this team. You know what Casey Wallace is going to provide for you. You know what Oscar Sheva is going to provide for you. And I do think it's fair to throw Xavier Wheeler in there as well, for better and and for worse. You know, it's I just think, a matter of if you like what you're getting. yes yeah, you do, you do it, know what you're going to get with them. Yeah, because <laughs> you know, I think. Ninety percent of the things that Xavier Wheeler does is impactful in a positive way. I, I do think that he does the way he sets the tone, the way he sets the tempo, the pace. That stuff is 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 invaluable. The way he gets his paint touches, the way you know he he finds guys on the on the perimeter, and you know he he draws defenders in when he when he drives into the lane, and then the dump off passes to, to Oscar Sheebway and those type of things. Uh, that that second to none. Nobody else in college basketball can do what Savior Wheeler does at his best. At his worst, unfortunately, it just feels like it's brutal timing with every mistake that he that he has. And it feels like the mistakes that he has, everybody in college basketball makes the same mistakes, but it's not in crucial game-defining moments at the end of the game. And I think that's kind of where uh, he kind of gets put on this, you know, in, under the bright spotlight for, you know, good reason. It's it's deserved. Some of the criticism is deserved. So it's it's kind of this push and, and pull and, and, you know, got to take the good with the bad with Xavier. But, unfortunately, the bad overtook the good there at the end.
1: Yeah, I would say Cal definitely agrees with your take on Kaysen. I mean, the, the kid played 44 minutes tonight, which um, we discussed at length. How would that look? And then you got, like, on the flip side, you know, guys like Chris uh, Livingston play next to none. Um, Ugo was the same thing. So I think we got an idea, of uh, a much better idea tonight, of who Cal trusts early in this season. And, um, you know, maybe aside from guys named Oscar Shibway, and Wallace is probably that second person that he trusts more than anything, along probably with Sabir. You can group him in there. And, um, man, I know that's probably going to is really, to me, like probably one of the most polarizing players, yeah. uh, definitely in the Cal era. Um, I know that I'm a big supporter of his, and I mean, I'm, I'm looking up stats tonight. I mean, he has, he has a literal chance to go down as the leading, uh, the most assist in SEC history in the modern era when he's done since 1985. He's definitely going to finish in the top three. He's already ninth. The closest Kentucky player is Anthony Epps at 11. So he's already, I know one of those years was at Georgia or some of that time, but I think that um, you're right, his, poor, his ill-timed poor play doesn't do a lot of favors especially for a very short point guard that's always kind of um i asked him about that at media days like i've always been through this type of uh you know criticism and stuff that he gets because he's so small so now playing point guard at kentucky you know it's just going to magnify that a ton but i i didn't leave this game jack with like i do think there's some offensive you know philosophy things that could be addressed but overall i'm not like woe is me, as much as, again, I'm not giving Cal passes for losing these games anymore, but, you know, from a season, uh, you know, looking at a postseason trajectory, projections, I mean, I don't see how you could really be too down after what you saw tonight.
0: Yeah, and and, I mean, shoot, you talked to Tom Izzo after the game. He said, uh, fans don't get down on this team. This is a really, really good team. They're going to end up very good. Coach Cal, a lot more upbeat than I was kind of really expecting afterward. You know, he said, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, double overtime, whipped my ass essentially. Um, But, you know, acknowledged the mistakes and the late game execution and the things that went uh poorly there at the very end uh, but said look i mean we've only had this team together for you know two practices and and one full game at this point this is our first game together um, you know, which I think is kind of hiding the truth a little bit, considering they did have an entire summer yeah. together uh, with four exhibition games in the Bahamas, with a, you know a whole month's worth of practice, and then all of the preseason leading up to Oscar's injury and before, obviously, Damian Collins went out and you know missed some time with with the passing of his dad. So I, I think it's stretching the truth a little bit and kind of you know painting a picture a little bit differently than I think was what reality is, but it's still. In in terms of current play, it makes a lot of sense. That's why you see a lot of the struggles. The chemistry isn't there. They're you know they're knocking off some of the rust, getting back into the groove of things of having their entire eleven man you know eleven scholarship player uh, you know not rotation because we you know eight nine players are in the rotation but all eleven available scholarship players there. Uh, they're they're just now kind of figuring out. Uh, they're they're finding their footing, getting their feet wet again, and, and trying to you know develop that chemistry once again and knock some rust off.
1: Yeah, well, um, last time I checked, Jack, Michigan State gets the same amount of time to practice. I don't even know that they got a summer trip this year. So as where I you you know anybody using logic and ration can understand workhouse coming from when he says that, but nobody wants to hear that stuff tonight. Like I said, this is yep. this is a compounding thing. You have lost five of the last six. In the biggest, um, you know, event in college basketball when the whole purpose of that event is to showcase the sport. Literally, it's, so, you know, the four, you know, four of the, the best teams in the game every year. And so for us to come out five of six and um, particularly make excuses like that after, I, I just don't like it. I think um, he's always going to say, oh, I put it on me. Um, you know, what else is he supposed to say? But, you know, another big chance. though. So that's if there's one silver lining, too, it's that, you um, you know, Kentucky will, will have another big opponent relatively soon. They can wash the taste out of, of the mouth here because I'm still in the camp that if Kentucky beats Gonzaga, um, you know, it'll uh, it'll soften this memory quite a bit.
0: Yeah. Uh, I guess you you brought up St. Peter's earlier and and how similar the two games really are, uh, just the way they finish, the late game execution, the tightness there at the very end. Drew is something that is. An, unfortunately a familiar feeling that when the time you know the situ- th- things get tough there at the end it feels like every single shot is hard to come by the offense runs poorly it, it's it's just nothing feels easy there are no easy e- easy layups at the rim there's no wide open three-point shots all of the stuff that that speed, that you know should come as easy as anything uh, it, it feels like those are, it, for whatever for things go south and it just doesn't work out that way and today was another example of that the offense just absolutely sputtering there especially at the end shots just weren't coming um you know and your two hottest shooters that led the team in scoring the first two games Antonio Reeves and CJ Frederick they go cold combined for 10 points uh, not making any shots Cal complained about them passing on some shots uh, there in the game, which uh, you know, I, I I agree. There were some looks that I think they probably should have taken, but at the same time, I do think that they probably Cal probably should have drawn up more stuff to to get more shot opportunities for them and maybe help help them find their groove a little bit more. Uh, that's kind of a you know one of the biggest topics after the game, Drew. So curious your thoughts on that. Just the idea that um, you know not a lot of looks for C.J. Frederick and Antonio Reeves when the offense was sputtering the way it was.
1: Yeah, my two pregame keys to the game were rebounding and making shots. (laughs) Sounds simple enough, but they got out-rebounded, and then um, really surprised, though, Jack. I mean, or uh, maybe not really surprised, but I was a little surprised that they shot 25 three-pointers. I mean, they shot 25 threes. We know that's not crazy typical of a Cal team, but only made seven. That 40% mark is what we said. To beat good teams, you need to be up around there, and if they would have been, you know, made a couple more shots, they went in regulation, but I do think that um, he went away from Antonio Reeves too fast. I mean, that's a guy that's trying to build his confidence at at this type of games. We talked this morning about how he hadn't really played in a game like this. So, so, you know, let him get acclimated. You know, if you're going to put Damian Collins out there for 19 minutes, I think actually Reeves did play like 22. But it just felt like late in the game, Jack, we should have, like, trusted him to do what he was brought here to do, and that's put the ball in the basket. He's here to do that. And if he can't do it in a big spot against Michigan State, then I don't think Cal would have brought him here. So that was a little frustrating. He said after the game in hindsight, maybe he should have played him a little more. Another thing people probably don't want to hear 10 minutes after the game (laughs) ended. Um, But yeah, you got to get those two guys going. I mean, the easy baskets, um, you know, are going to have to come from those guys. Or Kentucky is just going to be a rock fight all year, trying to get Oscar touches in the paint and manufacture points up from, you know, inconsistent. Uh, Options like you know, Jacob Toppin, right now, etc. So, hopefully, that was just a a fluke. You know, I got a a, a, I I noticed in the Duke Kansas game there was like four or five air balls. Jack, I shot the first half of that game, so you know, maybe there's something to be said about you know, that kind of you know, a Gainbridge field house or whatever. So, it'll be be telling to see how they shoot it um, up in Washington because the last thing I want to be talking about is CJ Frederick and Antonio Reeves both um, shooting the ball cold because i'm not sure how this team's gonna be able to weather that against a good team
0: and unfortunately that that was my key to the game you got to get at least one of antonio reeds and cj frederick going uh, i said that you know we could see an inefficient night from antonio because he did admit going into the first exhibition game that he had some some first game jitters I, I don't think it was a confidence thing. Like we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, you know, before we started recording, you know, I thought that he shot confidently. I thought he played with a lot of confidence to get to his spots. And, you know, Cal said that he passed up on shots. But like you mentioned just to me in passing uh, that, yeah, he was passing up on shots to create what he thought in his mind was an easier look. At you know you know 15 foot range you know 13 12 foot range you know on the baseline you know you the you, you know pump fake and you know try to get an easy look a little bit closer that we saw a couple of those from him and and you know unfortunately they didn't fall and it was you know probably like him to to launch instead of. Uh, You know, try to do a little bit too much, but yeah, I liked him catching the ball in the corner, and I said he. I think he was playing. I thought he was using his instincts. He was catching
1: the ball, and he felt like the best thing to do was rip it through and put it on the ground a few times. And I will say too, I got a pretty good picture, um, or at least one that showed he got kind of poked in his eye on that one awkward layup that didn't go, and he thought he got fouled, and there wasn't much contact, but it was finger to his his eye area, so no doubt he missed that one. But um, I kind of left encouraged with that. I mean, yeah. (laughs) would have been nice for him to take some shots and make them but I thought that um you know just catching and shoot doesn't take really much courage but I thought he was trying to make the right play but man let's do something to get his his confidence rolling because I mean he was averaging 20 a game Jack before coming in here and now it was like he wasn't even involved much at all so pretty much worst case scenario um besides C.J. getting a couple late like buckets between
0: those two. And, and that's really where you were hoping, you know, a good bulk of your offense was going to come. Yeah, and I said before this game that I, I was expecting more from C.J., you know being front playing at Iowa for 2 years being in the program for 3 you know in the Big 10 going up against you know schools like Michigan State you know the tough physical i thought this game was was ready made for him i thought this was a perfect opportunity for cj frederick to make an impact and you know show the value that he brought as uh, you know a veteran you know, scorer on the wing. And, you know, he did some things well, uh, you know, struggle a little bit defensively a little bit more from He almost got dropped on a crossover big time, Jack.
1: Shout out to Cason Wallace. But eight steals aside, I think he took a foul on that one. He thought he had all ball. But had he not thwarted um, that offensive move there, because CJ got crossed big time left to right. So I think some of his maybe um, he's such a smart defensive player but you might have saw a little bit today he's just, um, you know, lacking a little bit of athleticism, whatever. Yep. I mean, he needs to be out there tickling the twine, making some <laughs> shots. Um, and when he's not doing that, it gets a little iffy. But, yeah, he got he got put in a blender there pretty good in the
0: second half. <laughs> yeah, so the, that was one of my takeaways. You had to get one of those two going. Neither happened. My other takeaway was what was going to happen at the four position. If you, you had to get somebody from that four position to emerge, I didn't care who it was. Jacob Toppin was my likely guess because he had started out the season so cold, and, and he you know was a guy that everybody is anticipating to make a star leap. Cal has constantly raved about uh, just his how much he's been in the gym and how hard he's been working, the shots he's been putting up. He said after this last game against Duquesne uh, that you know he was really frustrated with. How it's not translating to the game and, and, and onto the floor uh, for the work that he's putting in in practice. It's just not taking that next step into the into the game. Uh, and said that you know he was kind of waiting for his breakthrough. So I kind of thought it would be him. That didn't happen. He struggled quite a bit. Shot again didn't fall really underwhelming defensively drew that that was kind of what shocked me is that he was missing rotations and uh, you know wasn't closing out very well losing his man you know hauser is a guy that you know we kind of joke would get dunked on yeah. at some point tonight but unfortunately he was the guy dunking on kentucky all night with with his you know easy catch and shoot looks coming off screens uh, you know kentucky just wasn't able to fight through and and i mean he was just left open time and time again and unfortunately uh Toppen was a big part of that uh, outside of him damian collins really 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 struggled tonight uh really i just don't you know i think he played 18 minutes tonight just was not his game i I, he's going through a lot right now and and, you know it's really hard to even make a, a real assessment of him long term short term anything until the dust kind of settles on that a little bit but look He's going through a lot, and I understand that Cal's trying to, you know, force-feed confidence into him and, you know, really, you know, get him back to where he needs to be confidence-wise before all this, you know, stuff happened with his dad. But look, this the physicality, this is a, you know, a, a team that you – know, Tom Izzo coach team that likes to muck things up and be as physical as possible and, you know, instill toughness and, and all those things. That's not Damian Collins' game. He's a finesse guy, and, and I, that it was just never a real matchup that, that – felt right for him so that didn't that didn't work out very well and then Chris Livingston another guy that I thought could use this opportunity to kind of maximize his versatility and the strength that he provides and he didn't provide much of anything at all and then Cal basically sat him the rest of the game so nobody at all emerged in that four spot and honestly I think it left more questions than answers in the front court you know and and, I mean shoot if we want to just continue this into the, the rest of the front court Lance Ware versus Ugo there was a lot of talk, you know. Did Ugo, uh, you know, emerge as the guy as the backup center behind Oscar Shebway, or was it, you know, Lance? Where are they going to trust the, in, you know, the enforcer role that he provides and the physical toughness that he has? Eh, you know, I think he did some good things. Ugo really didn't get a chance. He only played one minutes, a uh, one minute, but uh, it didn't feel like anybody from that that front court group from the four to five position drew. Nobody emerged and. I don't think having more questions and answers after that game is what we were looking for, especially going into that Gonzaga game.
1: You were spot on with the question marks around kind of that, what the you know the front court opposite of Oscar is going to look like. And I'll say, Jack, that I've have absolutely noticed that Jacob Toppin down there is like he's the vocal leader of this team. He calls the huddles, and there was a few times tonight where I mean, you know, he's a jokester. I, I love Jacob's disposition. You think he's hilarious. But he was. I mean, you can tell he really has taken on that role. And there was a few times when he's grabbing guys and he's telling them, you know, what to do, what they should be doing. But um, Kyle was on him tonight. I think, he, like you said, he, he missed quite a few of his assignments, wasn't on his game today. And I said that earlier, too, Jack. It's like, I feel like Jacob Toppin is, um, uh, could be an excellent college four, but he wants to be a three or a two so bad. <laughs> like, yep. I'm just like, you need to go in there and mix it up. Do what you do, man. Block some shots, slash, get some offensive rebounds then let all that other stuff come like I think he's it feels to me at least like he's he's riding the bus to the games you know evaluating his performance on jump shooting now and that's not I don't feel like what this team needs from him or is gonna need from him um so you're right and then from a like a a rotation standpoint that by far was the most frustrating thing to me Jack is that if Damian Collins like if you're gonna play Uh, So I think between the three of them, there was like 33 minutes played, I think, between Chris Livingston, Damian Collins, and um, Ugo. Ugo gets one minute, Chris gets 12, and Damian plays like 19 or 20. To me, I mean, I get it. Oh, Ugo wasn't ready for that game. Well, Damian Collins gave you next to nothing. And we know all the things that he's gone through. So I I won't even consider this game at all. But I will say that throughout his time here, my observations are, is like he has to learn to compete. He's not competitive. Like, he's just not, at least from what I've seen. In a game like that, I mean, you have to go out there and be competitive or you're going to get exposed. So he's going to have to work on that. Um, and then what really frustrates me, Jack, is that I'm like, and if you don't have any option, if you don't know what you're going to do, then I'll tell you what you should do. Let's let Ugo get developed before March. Yeah. That, and I'm not saying even tonight he should have been playing a ton. But if you're like us and you're cow and you're sitting there thinking, I don't know what I'm getting from Damien. You know, Can Chris play the four? Whatever it is, put Hugo out there and let's see how good we can get him. And if it ain't for this year, for next year then or whatever because his potential is just oozing. And I kind of get like a little bit of vibes of, of like, I feel like Cal rode Keon Brooks to the bitter end and he did do a lot of good stuff for you. But it was, it was just pretty evident there, Jack, especially last year, like what the ceiling was for Keon Brooks and right. what he was ultimately going to be able to, to do for the team. And, you know, was that going to be good enough to – accomplish the ultimate goal, so I I just, I just, guess I don't get what I'm saying, Is if he's you feel like he's ready enough to play one minute, why just one? You know, I would have liked to see him get another chance, because heck, I mean, all it would have taken was one more, one block shot you know, and Kentucky potentially wins that game, so that is weird, and it's going to be something to keep your eye on, and just going forward, Is just how he's going to manage you know, who's, who's filling in for Oscar during his limited breaks, and then who's playing on that opposite side of him. Uh, And I guess
0: the most frustrating part uh, about all of this is just uh, from a talent perspective, I just really didn't think it was close with Michigan State. The the team that we thought they were and, you know, we're talking about, yeah, I think this could be a game that Kentucky comfortably, you know, beats the spread. And I think that, oh, there's a chance that, you know, Kentucky could even win by 10 plus or, you know, double digit, you know, whatever. Uh, I still, even after this game, you know, wholeheartedly think that like this is a game that Kentucky should have won by double digits, and that's the main frustration of my end. And it looked like they were ready to break through. I mean, Kentucky led by as many as seven, I think, uh, in the first half, and uh, you know had a had a lead late into the second. I mean, shoot, they led by five in overtime, and I think three in the second overtime with a chance to uh, go up by five before Savir Savir missed his lay up at the rim, uh, so they had so many opportunities to kind of bust the thing open and, and really solidify themselves on the big national stage, and they, they they could just never break through, and that's just really frustrating, knowing how much talent is on this team and how many pieces there are, and I mean, that's why Cal said after the game, you know, he was kind of lighthearted and said, yeah, you know, it is what it is, uh, you know, this team just wasn't ready to finish, so we, we weren't ready to execute late uh, down the stretch when, you, you know, I, I, he knows they're going to down the road, but you just want them in this environment and this setting to be able to do that. And unfortunately, uh, that just wasn't the case. So the, uh, the scary part to Jack
1: right now is that I don't think anybody's like boiling over frustrations have much to do with this game at all kentucky fans calipari all of these players they're holding all the baggage of everyone before them specifically last year's two seed that lost so um, i know i'm in that camp and i'm usually kind of the opposite of like i usually take it game by game hey you know he had them in a position to win but i know myself and many others were really carrying that baggage um, from these tough losses because i mean at some point you just gotta win games You can't be a good team we're gonna get better we're gonna get better you have to win and I, i'll i'll end my part on this had i had I been in the press conference and heard Coach Cal call Tom Izzo Tommy, I probably would have thrown up everywhere. So I'm glad I didn't have to hear
0: that. <laughs> Dude, let's get out of here. Actually, one one last thing: uh, What are you looking for w- for in Kentucky's trip to Gonz- uh, Gonzaga? Uh, do you expect them to pull pull things uh, out and uh, you know kind of turn this uh, quick you know black eye that they have into a, a brief positive going into next week?
1: Man, that's going to be such a tough game. I think to evaluate. I mean. Kentucky, no college basketball teams really, but Kentucky doesn't travel 3,000 miles to play games very often. It's going to be a Sunday. It's going to be just a lot of unique aspects of it. Obviously, Gonzaga's really good. Um, so, man, it's, it's such a tough spot because the guy don't want to be sitting there saying anything but a win is going to be very disappointing, but I guess the thing I'm going to be looking for, Jack, is I hope we shoot over 23s again. I'd love to see Kentucky shoot 23s, but let's go ahead and make 8 or 9 this time and not 7 for 25. So, Hopefully um, maybe a little bit of offensive continuity, you no know, Gonzaga that's that's their mold. They play very beautiful typically type games. so maybe it'll rub off on us. Um, but
0: yeah these next two
1: games just make it look pretty, narrow this rotation down,
0: make some shots. I'm right there with you, Drew. Let's uh, get out of here where can fans find your work? Uh, Twitter at Big Drew 33 check out AC
1: of Blue. And, um, yeah, we'll get all your news there. We'll cover all the sports. So, thanks, Jack. It was fun. I know you, you have to be at the airport in literally like 90 <laughs> minutes. It's 3, 10 a.m. So, if you're listening, thank you.
0: <laughs> that wraps this up. You can find my work on, uh, on Twitter, at Jack KSRH. Reach, reach out to me via email. JPilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for the JPEG Source to podcast. We will see you there.